Good morning. Those of you that weren't here last week, Happy New Year. Excited about 2019? Weird, isn't it? If you need a Bible, raise your hand, a copy of God's Word, and uh, these gentlemen will be glad to give you one. You can take your Bibles and all your devices or however you're following along and turn to Acts chapter 11. Now that the Dallas Cowboys have lost, we can all relax. We're not interested in NFL anymore. So a uh, few of us, anyway, that are left. I want to mention a couple of things to you, and then we're going to get into... We're still going to be in the book of Acts, but we're going to do something a little different starting today for the next few weeks, and I'll kind of share that with you in a moment. I do want to mention several things to you first to make sure uh, I, don't, I get it done. I don't forget. This Saturday is what? There we go. See, it's just becoming part of your DNA. That's a good thing. It's part of who you are. This coming Saturday at the Bartlett campus is our monthly help day, and we'll start about 8 in the morning getting things set up, and we'll be there to 1 or 2 in the, in the afternoon, depending if you're upstairs in the clothes closet. Sometimes you end up staying for a little longer than everybody else. There's a lot going on up there. And if you've never been up there and looked at, just look at the, the clothes, it's pretty impressive uh, what uh, we're able to give away and all the work that's being done, and uh, some, some special folks do that. So this Saturday... Anytime, particularly between 10 and noon, that's really when we're giving out the food and it's really chaotic both upstairs and downstairs. So if you can come from 10 to noon and be a basket pusher or hand out food or help upstairs or hang around and help tear down, if you want to come at 8 in the morning and help set up, all that is this coming Saturday at the Bartlett campus. Again, it's our monthly deal and it's really cool. All right, do a couple of things I want to mention to you. Number one, we just finished our a latest starting point class, which is kind of for someone, maybe you're new here, you're, you've been here for a while, and you don't know what is a Christ church, and who's this clown that's up front, and why do they let him be up there, and a lot of different things. So if you've never been through our starting point class, it's supposed to be six weeks, and it ended up being nine months. Or uh, uh, They were trying to do the Randy class and, and ex- extrapolate it out as long as possible, but uh, about six, six to eight weeks, and they'll tell you, who Christ Church is, and where do we, when you're an independent church, you don't have a name and you're not affiliated with a denomination. Uh, be honest with you, independent churches, non denominational churches run the gamut from uh, crazy, uh, that's a theological term, uh, crazy, dangerous, to theologically sound and astute and good looking, which is the category we would fall into. So, uh, anyway, if you would like to be part of our next starting point class, which we hope to uh, start in just the next few weeks. Steve Nance and Mike Clay teach that, and that, they'll be around in the lobby afterwards, or you can let me know and just give them the information, or you can put it on your Connect card, like to be part of Starting Point. Put it on a Connect card, drop it in the black box, and I'll pass it on to them, and they will get in touch with you. So that's our Starting Point class. The precept Bible study that I lead on Wednesday nights here and Sunday nights in Bartlett I'm in the process, I'm getting ready to order the uh, books for the next class, be Hebrews part three. You don't have to take parts one and two to, to be part of this one. Uh, I'll be doing it here on Wednesday nights and in uh, Bartlett on Sunday nights, as I said. If you would like a book, and you don't have to have a book to come, but if you want a book and you want to do the homework and uh, uh, you like that brutality of all of that, and uh, you really learn a whole lot more the more you do on your own. But if you'd like a book, there. Only $15 this time. It's a smaller uh, session. So 
if you'd like a book, see me afterwards or just, again, write on your Connect card. I'd like a precept book. They're $15. You can see me afterwards and let me know. Now, the last thing I want to mention, probably the most important, because we can all do this. Are you ready? We can all, no. I was going to say, we can all wish me happy birthday, but we won't do that. Because somebody's already done it, so today's not my birthday. Just relax. I did find out something interesting this week. I promised my wife well, I wouldn't do this, but I got to do it. My birthday's this week. It's January 17th, and I share it with a lot of famous people. We've talked about that before. Benjamin Franklin, Kid Rock, etc. So, <laughs> David Hawkins, uh, one, of, one of our people here at the church, uh, David Hawkins and I also share the same birthday. And I was joking with him yesterday at the basketball game. I found out you know, you look little things up like, oh, things like that are important. So I had to look it up this week, see who else I share my birthday with, like Betty White, for example, Michelle Obama, a lot of famous people, good-looking people, and that's just the way it is. So here's the coup de grass. You ready for this one? Steve Harvey. Now, how many of you have do not watch, now, I'll change it. How many of you watch Family Feud at least one time a week? Now, you know you do. You need, might as well get those hands up. We watch it like 46 episodes a day. I can tell you exactly what he's going to say when he comes out. I'm your man, Steve Harvey. Boy, we got a good one for you today. And then, boom, we're off and running. Uh, we watch it just to laugh at people. So I'd be great on that show. You know what? I, I, it'd be something else. All right. So I don't even know why I brought that up. Oh, yeah, this next weekend. Martin Luther King weekend's coming up this, this coming weekend. And, and right across... See, it's kind of like Steve Hart again. Right over here, we got the family. Anyway, room four. This coming weekend, we're going to remodel room four. We've done one, two, and three already. We're going to do four this weekend. So uh, my, my daughter, Beth, so you saw her earlier up here singing, one of the many things I taught her. And, and I thought I did a magnificent job in that particular arena. There are others who I didn't do as well, but I did in that one. Now... She and her husband, Ryan, are kind of somebody in charge of that, and, and starting Friday night and Saturday, maybe even a little Sunday afternoon, but, and even Monday on the holiday, we're going to paint. He's going to come up and, and mud and tape and all that, that stuff that I don't even know what it means. I just like to say stuff like that, and then, then I come and watch Ryan and people like John Everson do it. I'm good at looking and, and watching them, but anybody can paint and anybody can help do that, and, and what Beth told me is it really helps to have a lot of bodies. Like, we got room three done. We painted it in, what, 15 minutes? And we, we had so many people, we got that room painted quickly, like three coats in, in just a short period of time because we had so many bodies. So that's this coming weekend. We're going to be doing room four, which is a little bigger and a little bit more of um, a task. So anyway, if you can help Friday night, Saturday, particularly Monday, Beth will be around afterwards and, and let her know uh, so we can kind of get an idea. We need, just need a lot of bodies to come and do that. And uh, if you don't see Beth, you can let me know or, or let Mary know, and, and we'll pass it along. All right, turn to Acts chapter 11. Let me kind of share with you what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks. Off and on over, over the past year and or several months, we're looking at walking through both campuses, the book of Acts. And the theme of this being the kingdom come and the great commission continues. We've talked about that a lot. What we're going to do today, when you get to Acts chapter 11, and we're going to be starting at verse 19, we're going to go back and do some other stuff later. But right now, we're going to look over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the church, the local church at Antioch. Now, there are two Antiochs that are mentioned, there were several Antiochs, but two that are mentioned 
in the book of Acts. There's Antioch of Pisidia, and then there's the Antioch in Syria. The one we're going to focus on is the one in Syria. So when you say Antioch of Pisidia, that's a different town. Because Antioch of Syria is incredibly important in the history of the church as the gospel moved to Europe, as you're going to see. Most of our ancestors are Europeans. And so you're going to, it's really interesting to see how the hand of God, the history of the world, and the sovereign hand of God is at play as he orchestrates the Great Commission continuing. Remember, Jesus told them, I want you to go, literally what he said was, as you go. In other words, even if you don't want to go, guess what? You're going to go, and, it, and we're going to see in a moment how that happened. But as you go, they were in Jerusalem, and everything was going to be cool at first, and it took them a number of years, but finally they went. And he said, as you go, make learner followers of me or disciples And there's a little town called Antioch, and the very first time followers of Jesus Christ were called Christians was at Antioch, as we're going to see in our text. And that's obviously a name we go by today, and it's a name that we proudly bear in a good sense of pride, that we are Christians. It literally means (coughs) little Christs or Christ's people. We are followers of Jesus who is the Christ, the Anointed One, the Savior, the Messiah, God in the flesh, all these things we celebrate uh, on a daily basis. Christmas, Christmas, we talked about Emmanuel, God with us, and the incarnation, God in the flesh. And we're born again. Jesus was the Christ. He is our Savior. We follow him. We are Christians. Christ, they were first called Christians at this place we're going to look at, Antioch. So what we're going to do over the next few weeks is look at Antioch as the model of a local church. Like, they'll pick one, Christchurch. It has two campuses, but it is, we are a local church. We're Bartlett, Arlington, that's who we are. Now, and clearly in Scripture, by the way, how many of you have ever heard somebody say this, or you've ever felt this, thought this, believed this, and you may be here right now. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Not that you believe that if you raise your hand. How many of you have ever had anybody say that to you? Yeah. I've said it, you've said it, people have said it to you. Hey, man, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. No, going in the building, going through the door doesn't save you. You're, you're right. But being part of a body, the body when you're born again, you're part of the church, universal, worldwide. But clearly, the New Testament teaches us we are to be involved in local bodies of the big body called churches, local churches, through which God works out his great plan of discipling all the nations. Jesus said, as you go, I want you to go to all the nations. Remember, the people he was speaking to when he said that were all Jewish. None of them were Gentile. They did not like Gentiles. They wanted nothing to do with Gentiles. They had no plans to go to the Samaritans. They hated them. They were half-breeds, and they sure weren't going to go out to the Romans because they, were, they owned them. They weren't going to go anywhere. But what did Jesus say to them? Oh, yes, you are. As you go, you teach them what I taught you, and I will be with you how long? Always. And what's so beautiful about understanding that, talked about it again at Christmas, Jesus' first advent, we celebrate at Christmas. His second advent, we're waiting on it, but what do we know? 
He is coming back. And in between Advent, Advent, it's even called the inter-Advent time now. That's kind of a new cool phrase people have come up with. It simply means the church age. We are in the church age. It began when Jesus ascended. He sent the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. We've studied that already. He empowered the church to begin at Jerusalem and Judea, then go out, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Places like Arlington, Tennessee, that would be the end of the earth. Okay, Frazier's the end of the earth, we all know that, but that's a different story. All right. But we're to go. We're still to go. It is the calling on our lives as Christians. First called that in a little place called Antioch. So what we're going to do over the next few weeks is look at Antioch in different ways. Today, we're going to look at Antioch. You look at your handout, the model church. And today, our focus is going to be on evangelism. Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 21. Evangelism done at Antioch, done God's way, the model through which we can learn and then do it where we are. I was asking this question Wednesday night, and Gary Whittem was the only one who actually knew. I was just throwing numbers out. I didn't know, so I looked it up. How many people are there on planet Earth today? According to Google, which we all know Google, we worship at the altar of Google, 7.7 billion. Could be more, I don't know. Let's say it's 7.7 billion. How many in the United States? Something like 326 million people. That's a lot of folks, isn't it? If you go back and look at where it was in 1990 as compared to where it is today, it's amazing exponentially how the population on this planet has exploded. How many of those 7.7 billion, 326 million people did Jesus Christ die for on the cross? Every single one of them. When he said, I want you to go into all the world, I want you to go to the ends of the earth, I'm even Frazier, he said, and I want you to make learner followers of me, did he realize there would be 7.7 billion people on the earth one day? Sure did. If you don't ever meditate on scripture, you need to, to read things like Psalm 139 where Jesus says, I knew about you before you were in the womb. I knew you. I knew everything about you. I knew what I wanted to do in your life. For all of those people, he loves them. That's what the Great Commission is. A commandment, a commission, a calling on our lives as Christians to go. And as we go, make learner followers of Christ. You've got billions of people on the planet. The church will survive. Jesus made it clear the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. It will be here. When the smoke clears, the only kingdom that will be in existence, it won't be the United States, it won't be China, and it won't be Russia. It will be the kingdom of God. The, the Bible calls it, says it this way. The kingdom of the Most High is the only one that survives. That's the church. Obviously, pre-church believers, we are the kingdom of God. That's it. And all the rest will be gone. One day the whole planet will be gone with its billions of people. And so our calling it's a high calling. It's a special calling. It's to let people know who Jesus Christ really is. 
Every year in the United States of America, we just started a brand new year. Statistically, and if the averages continue, every year in the United States of America, over 7,000 churches close their doors. Now, I realize some of those are just for different reasons. But you know the primary reason that people, those, all those churches close their doors? The people aren't going to church anymore like they used to. They're just not. Now, again, going through the door doesn't make you a Christian. Being, being religious doesn't, ain't going to get you anywhere. But a relationship with Jesus Christ will change your life forever. And then churches will have people in them because those people whom we go out and we witness to evangelism, as we're going to talk about today, and we share the gospel, and they see Christ come into their life and they're born again, they're going to want to be part of a fellowship where they can grow and be nurtured and have relationship and accountability. Guess what that's called? Church. That's what we do. We talked about this before. We opened this campus 12 years ago. Last month, December of 06, we opened this campus. And with just a few exceptions, like here on the back row and a couple of others, all the people that came out here with me when I left Bartlett and came, a few here, they're all gone. But look at all the new relationships that God's allowed us to build in 12 years. Some dear, dear friends that I didn't have 12 years ago. I have them now. I get to be part of their lives. That's what the church is. I was yesterday, I coached two basketball teams, one fairly well, one not so well, but... Maybe it has something to do with who the players are on the team. Maybe I hmm. But yesterday, I'm, there's a young man, not young anymore, he used, he's young to me, that he referees all my girls' basketball games. Not all of them, about half of them, at a particular venue. And we're just standing there. I've known him since, gosh, 30 years now. We used to play basketball together all the time. You know how I met him? Playing basketball. We didn't talk about Jesus. We didn't talk about the Bible, I didn't say, man, we need to have a Bible study and then we'll start the game. We just started playing basketball together. Played together for years. Became good friends. And in the process of becoming friends, I was able to share with him. He knew what I did for a living. I had a key to the building. He, you know, he knew that who I was. And we talked about, and, and we became close. We're still friends. And yesterday, we're standing there just talking, getting ready. It was in between games, we're just standing around talking. And he goes, he's becoming, this week, at the church he attends, they're making him an elder. And he says, I want you to know that when we met all those years ago and you were friendly to me, that's the reason I got back in church. Now, I'm not telling you that to think, ooh, Randy's cool. I'm telling you, anybody can live out and share their faith, whatever you do. Maybe you play golf with somebody. It doesn't have to be a sport. That's just what I did. Maybe you hunt with somebody instead of shooting at them, you shoot at something else. You just spend time together. You go fishing. Whatever you do, you just spend time together. They're going to know who you are, aren't they? And in time, you're going to talk about who. Why, why do you do what you do? Why, why is this Jesus so important to you? And you just talk about it and you share it. That's what Antioch did. And I want you to see what happens as a result of doing that. Because there's a popular theme in church culture today and media and writings and blogs and all those things. And here's the phrase you hear all and see all the time. We want to be a, quote, New Testament church. Okay. I hate labels because so many times you don't even know what that means. What does that mean? 
It means different things to different people. But here's the bottom line. We do want to be a New Testament church because the New Testament is God's word. We want to do it the right way, however. If you look at the churches in the New Testament, the church at Corinth, for example. You ever studied the church at Corinth? That was a local church. That's a church in the New Testament. Matter of fact, Paul wrote two letters to it. You know why Charles? Charles. I don't know where that came. That was his real name, Charles. You know why the Apostle Paul wrote two letters to the church at Corinth? Number one, the Holy Spirit led him to, but you know why? They were so wicked, immature, fleshly. In their religion, they, they all, instead, when they came together to share the Lord's Supper, it became a drunken feast. They had temple prostitution going on. That sounds like a church you want to be part of. Not godly, right? Very immature, very fleshly, very self-centered. They, they were so divisive. They had this group over here saying, we're going to follow Paul. You had this group over here saying, we're going to follow Apollos. You had this group here saying, we're going to follow Peter. And yet another group that said, we're going to follow Jesus. And the group that said, we're going to follow Jesus felt like, you know, we're better than the rest of y'all because we're following Jesus. And the truth is, all they wanted to do was fight with each other. That was the church at Corinth. Is that the New Testament church you want to be? Not the one I want to be. They had problems. Read Revelation 1, 2, and 3. At the introduction of that incredible book about the end times and the apocalypse and all of that, chapters 1, 2, and 3, Jesus, I know it's Jesus because it's all in red, Jesus is speaking to local churches. Okay? New Testament, historical, local churches at places like Ephesus and others. And he is wearing them out about the sin in those churches. Even Ephesus, which was a good church, he says, I have this against you. You've left your first love. We want to be a New Testament church in a sense of, what were these people at Antioch like? Because they got it right. They did it God's way. Their love, their first love, their number one priority above all else was to love Jesus Christ with all their being, individually and corporately. And as a result, they didn't have the divisions. They didn't have the fights. They loved each other. Even people with different skin colors than them, they loved. Even people who came from different backgrounds from them, they loved. Even people who didn't think exactly like they did, they loved. They served. They became part of each other. That's what a church is. That's what a model church can teach us. We want to be. 30 years after Paul had been praising the church at Ephesus, only 30 years later, Jesus says to them, you've left your first love. What happened? They got their eyes off Jesus and started putting their eyes where? On me. What do I want? What's important to me? Not what does God want. What do I want? And if they're not going to do it my way, there's another church down the street or on the next corner. If you live in Memphis, there's one probably in your backyard. There's one everywhere. You got to find out where is it that's being done God's way. That's what I want to be part of. So I can serve. So what's interesting with the model church at Antioch that we're going to look at is that Antioch would have been one of the last places 
you would have ever chosen to put a church that was a model church. It was very cosmopolitan, very corrupt, very pagan. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Only behind Rome and Alexandria, Antioch was the third largest city. It was about the size of Memphis, in many ways like Memphis. Very corrupt, very pagan, very religious, but not focused on the person of Jesus Christ. Yet it was the church, it was the place, the town, the city that God chose to begin to make his center of global missions for the Apostle Paul. It was kind of like his home base to go out on his missionary journeys and take the gospel all over the world. Locally it worked, globally it worked, and it grew like crazy, numerically. But please focus on me for just a moment before we begin to look at this. The evangelical church in America has done us a disservice in the last 50 years by saying the only good churches are the ones that have a lot of people. That numbers are the way you test the church. Christ Church, Central North Church, has been a church of 2,000 people at one time. That's a lot of folks. Now it's a church of about 800 people. That's not as many folks. But here's the point. What made the church at Antioch our model is that they didn't focus on the numbers. They focused on each individual person. The numbers just take care of themselves. They can be a lot. You could have a church with thousands upon thousands of people and it not be a good church. And I would mention some names, but this is being recorded. There are false teachers in our nation that have huge followings. Huge. They meet in arenas like FedEx Forum, and they pack them out every week. But they're not preaching the gospel. They're tickling ears. People like to have their ears tickled. Because that, what the Bible means by that is, you're going to tell me what I want to hear. You're going to tell me what I want to hear as opposed to what I need to hear. See, our job is to speak the truth in love. Sometimes we forget the love part, but that's what we're supposed to do. Speak the truth in love and then see what God does. Antioch did that, and as a result, yeah, they had great numbers. But more importantly, they had people that were growing spiritually. So let's look at the context. Acts 11, verse 19. What you have here is, is kind of a break and then a pickup, and I'll show you what I mean by that. Eleven nineteen. Acts eleven nineteen. Now those who were scattered... After the persecution that arose over Stephen, they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. So what are we looking at? Antioch as the model church of evangelism. Here's what I want you to notice. It begins with persecution. That's number one on your handout. It begins with persecution. We won't go back and read it, but if you remember Acts chapter 8, we studied it already, after the martyrdom of Stephen, which was led by, what was the cat's name that led the martyrdom of Stephen? Saul of Tarsus, who we then see in chapter 9 gets saved. What you're seeing, and please don't forget this, is the most important doctrine in all of Scripture. What you see is the hand of God working good even in bad 
circumstances. When Stephen was martyred, and remember we go back when we studied this, when Stephen was martyred, the church was at its lowest, emotionally, mentally. He was, he was a, an up-and-coming great leader of the church, and he's dead. Why him, Lord? Why not these clowns over here? They ain't doing anything. Stephen is slaughtered, murdered. And the Bible says a great persecution arose after the death of Stephen, and the believers went where? Everywhere. They were scattered. They went. Remember what Jesus said in the Great Commission? As you go. The persecution came, and they went. They were still at Jerusalem. The church, by and large, was still a Jewish thing. We just saw here in verse 19. They're scattered, and as they go, who are they preaching to? They're Jewish, and they're preaching to other Jews, because they, that's all they knew at this point. The, remember, you're going, when you get to Acts 11, verse 19, it's picking up from Acts 8, 4. So what's happened in between, like the Cornelius and, and uh, uh, Peter going to Cornelius, that hasn't happened yet. So all they know is that we've been at Jerusalem, we've been preaching to Jews, the Pentecost happened, it's been great. And so as they go, they preach to other Jews. That's all they know at this point. And Paul, excuse me, Saul of Tarsus, in his persecution, had one goal. You know what that goal was? To eradicate the name of Jesus Christ. Whatever I need to do, I'm going to eradicate the name of Jesus Christ. So these people flee Jerusalem. That's their home church. That's where they feel safe. That's they've got a huge, it's grown, it's exploded because of, after Pentecost. And now they've got to go, they're going out. They're being persecuted. In chapter 8, they go to Samaria. You saw Philip. In chapters 8 and then in 10, we're going to see they go to Caesarea. They go to Damascus in chapter 9. Lydi, Joppa, Sharon. Now in chapter, 9, uh, chapter 11, verse 19, we see they're going to go as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Here's the picture from a map perspective. All those other places were south of Jerusalem. Now they're going north. Antioch, and Phoenicia, Cyprus, Cyrene, they're, go- they're going north. So what do they do as they go? Verse 19 again, 11:19. They're preaching the word. They're spreading the word. They're scattered. Persecution scatters them. Please don't miss that principle. A bad thing results in a what? A good thing. And God says, I'm always working good. We talked about this last night, Romans 8, 28. I'm always working good. Even though it's bad, I know it's bad, but I'm there and I'm working. And I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Trust me and go as you go. So they go, they, they spread the word. And notice verse 19, one more time. For preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. Everywhere they go. They didn't focus on, so important. They didn't focus on their persecution. Woe is me, and where is God, and why are we going through this, and everything was going cool, why we got, why, why this? No, they just went, and as they went, they preached the word. To Jews only. Now part of that would have been a language barrier thing because as they go north and they head into areas where it's not, they don't speak the same language they do. We're going to see how God solves that in a moment. (coughs) 
me, here's what I want you to notice in verse 19. Please, please, please notice this because this is my encouragement to you. You see the word preaching? You see that word? Raise your hand. Okay, some of you can't see it. That's all right. It's there. Verse 19. Do you see the word preaching? Man, please get this. In the original language in which that was written, it does not mean what I'm doing now. It does not mean someone stood up and orated. It does not mean pulpit oratory. You know what it means in the original language? Normal conversation. Please see that picture. These were not the disciples. These were not the apostles. These were not the trained leaders. These were the people who had been at the church of Jerusalem saved and had been growing, and now they're going, and as they go, they talk to people. How many of you talk to people every day? You sure, sure you do. And it's what it's saying is, in their normal conversation, they were known, preaching. They were normal conversationing. I made that up. You can write that down later. They were normal conversationing. What? Verse 19. What's the next two words? The word. The word. The gospel. The good news about this man, Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Messiah, or he is the Christ. He is the Savior of the world. Just talking about it, not beating anybody up, not saying you got to be like me. Just, let's just talk. Who do you think Jesus is? Let's, let's talk about it. What's your opinion? That's what they were doing. Just sharing what they knew. Persecution had driven them out. They took it as opportunity. You see that? They didn't focus on the persecution. They didn't get down. They just trusted God and talked about the word. Now, verse 20. God's getting them to Antioch because he's got plans. So their persecution led to preaching, normal conversation. Also led to preaching, number two on your handout, verse 19 into 20. Preaching the word to no one but Jews only, verse 19. Verse 20, what's the first word? Woo, I love that word. For those of you who may not have been here in the last 10 years, it's my favorite word in the Bible. I love the word but because God is about to teach you something really important. Pay attention, that's what he's saying. But some of them, not all, because they weren't all from these places. Some of them from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. So they're preaching the word. What else are they preaching? They're preaching the Lord Jesus. They couldn't help themselves. They're talking about it. I want you to notice how this works. St. Augustine said something great. Famous quote people have used forever. He said, preach the gospel Preach the gospel, preach the gospel, and every now and then use words. In other words, that's who you are. Your life preaches the gospel. Sometimes you get to actually talk about it, do that. So they're preaching. The, the Jews who, who were not Hellenists, we'll talk more about that in just a second, they're talking to the Jews only. 
They didn't know that they, be honest with you, they still, some of them were still bigoted. They didn't know. Remember what, what Peter had to go through, how God had to get his attention? All they've known is it's a Jewish thing. But Jesus had made it clear it's to go to everybody. So now what God does in his sovereignty, verse 20, some of them were from Cyprus and Cyrene. That, so when they got to Antioch, it's about 300 miles north of Jerusalem, notice the two, it's so cool. They spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. The word spoke in verse 20 is the same word in verse preaching in verse 19. So hang with me for a minute. This is important. These people that are from Cyprus and Cyrene, they are also carrying on normal conversation with these people north, but they speak Greek. Jews, we see in verse 19, didn't. They talked to the Jews in Hebrew or Koine, whatever they spoke. These guys that are from Cyprus and Cyrene, they're Hellenist, Greek-speaking Jews who can now talk to people in what? Their native language. For example, in applying this to Christ church, there are a number of people in the city of Memphis who do not speak English. I don't know if you've encountered that or not. And it's rapidly growing. You go to our Bartlett campus and go one mile west, which is where I lived for 23 years, exactly one mile west of the Bartlett campus. And if you speak Spanish, you have a real opportunity to share with people. Go into Raleigh. Go to that godforsaken Frazier. I'm kidding. What an opportunity. I wish I spoke Spanish. I do. Let's say you're in a business. Obviously, businesses won't. How many places do you see signs, both in Spanish and English? How many people bring someone on their staff just because they can speak Spanish? It's important. That's what's going on here. God in his sovereignty has these guys. Some of them were capable of speaking to the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews. Could speak to the Greeks. So now notice verse 20 again. They came to Antioch. They spoke to the Hellenists. Now, that doesn't mean the Hellenists they speak to are Jews. They are, they are Hellenists, Greek-speaking Jews, but the Hellenists here are Gentiles that are these places. Now, the last phrase in verse 20, preaching the Lord Jesus. Here's where the word changes. So you see the principle. They're talking to them because they can. They speak their language. Are we together so far? You have Greek-speaking Jews who could speak to the Hellenists, the Gentiles who aren't converted in their language, Greek. But it also says they're preaching to them in verse 20, and this is a different Greek word. This is not normal conversation. This is deliberate, targeted evangelism. It'd be like, let's say John speaks Spanish and I don't. And I learned Spanish so I could talk to him. We're just carrying on conversation. But my ultimate goal is not to just carry on conversation and talk to him, but it's to preach to him or to share what with him? Jesus Christ. Evangelism. You see, they had a goal. Antioch was the model church. And how you do evangelism is you care about each individual. You get involved in their lives. 
You talk to them. You get to know them. But ultimately, what do you want to share with them? Jesus Christ. Because he could change their life. You, they preach the Lord Jesus. This is a historic moment in the life of the church. In verse 20, they're preaching both the Jews and the Gentiles. They are actively proselytizing Gentiles for the first time. I realize Peter went to Cornelius, and yes, that occurred. But now they are actively in a major metropolitan area, Antioch, going after Gentiles. Preaching the Lord Jesus where they were. In Acts 17, I don't want you to turn over there, but in Acts 17, you will see as this grows, Paul finds himself at Athens, a very cultural place, obviously, Athens, Greece. And he's at a place called Mars Hill where all the philosophers were gathered to talk, <clears throat> get together. And as he witnesses to, him, to them, his goal is to introduce them to Jesus Christ, but he meets them where they are and talks to them about what they believe, what they know, and does not quote scripture at all, leads them up to the point to then explain repentance and who God really is. Because that passage starts out this way. Paul's talking to them, and he says, I noticed in your town a statue to the unknown God. Because in Athens they had 50,000 public idols for all the different gods they worshipped. And they had one generic idol to the unknown God, just in case they missed one. It's exactly what it was. And Paul says, let me declare to you who the unknown God is. And he begins to talk to them about their poets and about life. Not about scripture. Not about the Jews, but about the Greeks. And he leads them up to a point in explaining, I want to talk to you, but ultimately I want to introduce you to the God who's unknown to you, who could change your life. That's evangelism. You meet people where they are, talk to them about what they know, because you're interested in where they are and where they will be spiritually. Antioch, amazing place. 300 miles north of Jerusalem. It's the capital of Syria. As I said, it's the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Very pagan, very pagan. Now, notice the third point, and we're going to be done. Look at verse 21. The hand of the Lord was with them. A great number believed and turned to the Lord. God was with them. That phrase, the hand of the Lord was with them, it's an Old Testament euphemism for God blessing you with immediate results. A lot of people turned to Jesus Christ. Three times this is mentioned. Verse 21, verse 24, and verse 26. That large numbers of Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. Turning from their pagan immorality and their idolatry to Jesus Christ. By the Nicene Council in 325 A.D. 325 A.D., there were over 200,000 Christians at Antioch, a place that had just been a pagan, the center of temple worship for Daphne. 25% of their population, by 325, had been Christianized. Why? Because every single person, every single one of them, was interested 
interested in all the people they ran into. They cared about them. They wanted to preach Jesus to them, but first they engaged them in normal conversation. They cared about them. Some of you will recognize this name, and some of you will not. Those of you that are a little older probably will. There was a lady that wrote a lot of great classic hymns. Her name was Fanny Crosby. And Fanny Crosby was blind. She wrote hymns like, if I'm not mistaken, she wrote Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine, Oh, What a Foretaste of Glory Divine. Fanny Crosby was a great hymn writer. As she was getting older in her life, she, and again, she's blind, she visited a rescue mission in New York City called the Macaulay Mission. She was in a crowd. They were all homeless and drug-addicted people, alcoholics. And she said, quote, Is there a young man here who doesn't have a mother? One young man timidly raised his hand, because she couldn't see, but he explained that his mom had died when he was very young. So she asked the young man to come forward, and she gave him a big hug and kissed him on the cheek. Fanny Crosby did. She said the moment touched her heart so much that she went home that night, I went before she was staying, and she wrote these words. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from sin in the grave. Weep o'er the erring one. Lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty, to save. You may remember the hymn. Years later... There was a guy named Ira Sankey, and if you, church history, you may remember his name. He was, he was uh, singing for Dwight L. Moody at a, in St. Louis at a, an event. And he got up to sing the song that he was, uh, that song we were just talking about. And he told the story of Fanny Crosby at the mission. This was years later. He's telling the story, and this man jumps up in the middle of the crowd and says, that was me. I was a young man she wrote about. She kissed me, and I could never get away from that moment. And as a result, I gave my life to Christ. Fanny Crosby was blind, but she didn't worry about her lack of sight, physical sight. She cared about people, wrote some incredible hymns, and all she did was give the kid, a a young man, a hug and kissed him on the cheek. And it led him to want to give his life to Christ. That's evangelism. You don't have to be a great preacher. You don't have to have the, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I got the gift of running my mouth. My gift is to teach. I don't have, I'm not good. I can tell people, but I end up talking too much, chasing rabbits. I don't have the gift of evangelism, but should I be an evangelist? Yes. And so should you. You don't have to have all the answers. Nobody does. Where did Cain get his wife? I don't know. I can tell you my opinion. But what I do know is God cares about every single person you encounter. He loves them. Jesus died for them. You know that because you've been saved. And he wants you to talk to them. Lovingly talk to them. And just see what he's going to do. You never know. Antioch is the model for how a local church should do that. Because we're going to see next week that the home church finds out and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Those aren't Jews. 
Those are Gentiles. Because they just went on and did what they thought Jesus wanted them to do. And so they send Barnabas down there to check it out. And you know what he says? Ooh, this is good. Because God was in it. Would you bow your heads, please? So, Father, as we close out our time together today, we simply thank you that we have something to share. That evangelism is not us notching our Bible or or coming back and impressing with others or how many people we talk to. It's just being normal, conversation, talking to people about what's going on in their lives and telling them what Jesus can do for them, what he's done for me. Help us to be sensitive, first, Lord, to others, sensitive to where they are, care about them, sensitive and caring, and then sharing in normal conversation who our Jesus is because he can change their lives. So, Father, for all of us here in the room that are born again, that needs to be our goal. Evangelism done the way the Antiochians did it. And for somebody here, Father, who's not a a Christian, not a Christ follower, that they would know they're loved, we care about them, and we'd like to talk to them about Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Please stand as we sing, and if you'd like me to pray with you, I'll be down front.